Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 115 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the effects of Dark Star. Hello, Andrew. Hello, you okay? I'm okay. Um, same question as last time when we did Saturn 3. Uh, what's your history with Dark Star? When did you first see it? Oh, this is probably like a, a BBC Two showing in the 1970s, I would imagine. Uh, like, you know, sort of late, late night BBC Two, I think. Uh, and I'm not too sure if I even seen it all the first time, but I certainly, you know, seen it all the second time and enjoyed it uh, for what it was, really. Um mm. You know, I've, I've always liked this movie. I've always thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, BBC Two sort of almost certainly, and then I picked it up later on on uh, VHS. I recorded it off TV. Uh, so I've seen it lots and lots of times, probably too many to mention, really. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I I think you're right about the BBC Two thing because that was the time. Do you remember when, after Star Wars came out, it seemed the BBC just looked around to see what science fiction films they had the rights to and just showed anything, didn't it? It was the same time yeah, Silent yeah. Running was shown as well, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, probably around about the same time, yeah. And again, I think I kind of only seen part of that on the initial run because I think it was, I, I can't remember how old that would have been, but it was probably bedtime because it was school the next day, so... Mm. I've probably only got to see a snippet of it. So, Yeah, I think Dark Star, like Silent Running, for me, was also at the same time when Star Wars, you know, was massive, was you had a whole series of science fiction film guidebooks came out, and there were stills. I remember stills of Dark Star and Silent Running. I think that's the first exposure I ever had to either of the films. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the, the, I'm not saying that the stills made the movie look better, but they, they were tantalising, weren't they? You kind of, mm. oh, what's that? You know, what, what's that movie about? Even the alien, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and was this the first John Carpenter film that you saw, do you reckon? Uh, yeah, it will have been, definitely. Yeah, mm. uh, almost certainly. I won't have seen Halloween at this point or Assault and Precinct 13. So, yeah, I, yeah, it will have been. I it'll, think have been it... it'll have been Dan O'Bannon's name that I probably recognised more than anybody really because mm. cost of you know uh, looking at stuff like alien and things like that so he'll be his, his name yeah yeah all right well I, th- I thought before we talk about the special effects um we'll just have a little uh talk about you know how the film came into being yeah yeah, yeah. and now you're gonna know an awful lot of this uh andrew so sorry to bore you um so yeah john 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 carpenter left college in western kentucky and moved to UCLA, where he met Dan O'Bannon, who had come there from college in Missouri. I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dan had already made a film called Attack of the 50-Foot Chicken. Have you seen Attack of the 50-Foot Chicken? No. No, nor have I. I don't think it's on YouTube or any anything, is no, it? No, it doesn't sound like it will be. Hmm. So, that, yeah, they, they, they arrived there at UCLA. It's quite a heady time, I think, at that time, because everyone was looking up to and admiring George Lucas, who uh, had been there and um, had, had done what had seemed impossible. You know, he mm. had got his student film, THX 1138, in, in, into the cinemas. Yeah. Hmm. So there, there they are. There they are at UCLA. Um, the pair had been very impressed by the visuals of 2001. Um, but it was Dan O'Bannon especially, he didn't hold with the clean, spartan look of the film and um, and decided that space travel would quickly get very, very grubby and very, very boring, which gave him the initial idea of Dark Star. Yeah, like the, the monotony of it all, wasn't it, really? Yeah, and I think even back then, I think it was Dan O'Bannon that coined the phrase truckers in space. Right. He, he, even back then in the early 70s. 
and and so yeah this this project was born as a um, as a deliberate opposite to what Stanley Kubrick had done with 2001 yeah. mm. um so initially John Carpenter asked uh, Dan O'Bannon just to act um but it quickly became more of a collaboration with uh, Dan also becoming co-writer production designer editor and head of special effects yeah and i, I, I am i right in thinking that Dan O'Bannon wanted to direct, but they had a deal between the two of them. And John Carpenter said, I, I, I'll get director's credit on the first one, and the next one we make together, you get the director's credit. Yeah, there was something like that. But, I mean, I think a lot of people do think O'Bannon did pretty much co-direct this, don't they? Mm. Uh, you know, over the, was it like a four or five year period mm. um, that it was done in? I think, you know, uh, he, he did a sort of, he did co-direct it. Even if Carpenter didn't say so, mm. so but I think the original title of this, when John wrote it, was called "The Electric Dutchman." That's right. I think that was the original sort of screenplay title, and then um, I don't know who, who decided on Dark Star. Um, but yeah, there was um, also um, I think O'Bannon's mentioned about the the ending was lifted from a Ray Bradbury story. Uh, I think it was called Kaleidoscope, and it might be inside the actual book which features the illustrated man. Yeah. And I think it is the whole kind of talking between the the the, the astronaut and the computer or the or the bomb. That mm. was that was actually he, he did say, you know, it was sort of lifted. Yeah, and didn't Ray Bradbury try to sue or something, or at least he wanted an acknowledgement that this is, you know, something from one of my pieces of work. Oh, I've never heard that. So that that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he went to the courts or anything like that. Yeah, but I think yeah, he was a my, bit miffed. Yeah, just like would have been nice to have a nod. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was Dan O'Bannon's idea to rope in uh, one of our heroes, uh, Ron Cobb. Yeah. Because um, he was a big fan of Ron Cobb's um, cartoon work, wasn't? Uh, yeah. He, he was mainly a political cartoonist at the time. Yeah, very very big in the sort of sixties, wasn't he, for his political cartoons? Mm. Um, and some some of those, even though they were political, did feature sci-fi elements, like mm. and, you know robots and things like that. So um, you could see he was a good uh, sci-fi illustrator even then. Yeah, and boy, did he <laughs> he become an even greater one? I mean, yes, Dan mm. O'Brien uh roped him in for Dark Star, and then history repeated itself few years later and he did the same thing for alien as well didn't he and, yeah yeah and you like me we can pour over photos of uh ron cobb cobb's yeah. uh production art yes yeah um so i, th I think the other thing as well as i think uh, from what i remember was dan o'bannon was a friend of john landis and it was landis who put them in touch with uh jack jack harris or jack h harris i think he's mm. called uh as like to sort of potentially distribute this mm. um I'm not too sure whether uh, Jack Harris wanted... I think he might have been the one who actually asked, asked for additional stuff to make it to he feature did. film length. Yeah, that's the because, fella. Yeah. Because I'm not too sure what technically classes as feature film length. Um, it might be 90 minutes or something, I'm not too sure. But he wanted more footage shooting mm. uh, to actually just make it you know, run that length. Yes, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It had to be between 80 and 90 minutes, I think, back then to to yeah. uh, qualify as a feature film. Yes, yeah. All yeah. right, so, so yeah, Ron Cobb is contacted. Him and Dan go out. I think it was to a donut shop. And, yeah. and uh, Dan explains to Ron what the, he's after, and Ron did this initial sketch on a napkin, if legend is to be, be believed, and then later come up with some blueprints, which you can still find. You can still find them online, yeah. the, uh, the, the line work for the Dark Star. What do you think of the Dark Star as a ship design? I think it's a, a well, it's a bit of an enigma, obviously, in terms of its uh, scaling and its, you know, things like that. But it is a great design. Mm. Um, you know, I do like the the Dark Star. I think it's it's really really iconic in its own way. Probably like a, a you know, as iconic as Nostromo in in sort of cult film circles in some mm. respects. You know, it is a great design. It's a very um, simple design, isn't it? You know, and yeah, it doesn't have a great deal of surface detail, but it's just the shape of it. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you say a scaling thing. Yeah, a couple of problems. One is the size of the bomb when it comes yeah. out the bottom. Now you can kind of explain that away if 
say there was mention of when they blow a planet up, you know, materials are brought in maybe at an atomic level, you know, and they make new bombs in some sort of like plant machinery deep in down the in, inside yeah. the ship. If you didn't have the bubble canopy on the top showing you just how small this yeah. ship really is. Yeah, with Talbot, yeah. Yeah, and then the other problem with scaling is, we'll be talking the, about it shortly, is the lift, the elevator scene, yeah. which which was a later bit of filming to bulk it out to make it feature film length. Yes. Um, yes. It, un, unless the lift shaft was running down the actual length of the ship. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it, it certainly wouldn't be able to fit in the height of the ship, so... No, no, we'll talk about that when we reach that bit. So what I thought we would do is, uh, rather than talk about each sequence in turn, we'll just we'll look at the subjects of the effects one by one, okay? Yeah, that, that's fine, yeah. This statement is for posterity. I just want to say that I am not Sergeant Pinback. My real name is Bill Frug, and I'm a fuel maintenance technician. I've been on this mission now for one year and three months. Pinback's uniforms do not fit me. The underwear is too loose. I do not belong on this mission, and I want to return to Earth. <coughs> Commander Powell died today. We were, we were going in, into hyperdrive. And, well, he sits right next to me, and... Well, something went wrong with you. When we came out of hyperdrive, his seat mechanism was blown up. He's dead. Doolittle says that he's assuming command of this ship, and I, I say that's... I say he's exceeding his authority, because I'm the only one with any objectivity on this ship, and I should be the one to assume command. Now, I'm filing a report on this to headquarters. This is a lot of... I went up to Doolittle in the hall today. <laughs> and I said, do a little. <laughs> he said, I said, well, and he didn't get it. <laughs> this mission has fallen apart since Commander Powell died. Do a little treats me like an idiot. Tell me, so smart. And Boiler punches me in the arm when no one is looking. I'm tired of being treated like an old wash rag. I do not like the men on this spaceship. They are uncouth and fail to appreciate my better qualities. I have something of value to contribute to this mission if they would only recognize it. Today, over lunch, I tried to improve morale and build a sense of camaraderie among the men by holding a humorous round-robin discussion of the early days of the mission. My overtures were brutally rejected. These men do not want a happy ship. They are deeply sick and try to compensate by making me feel miserable. Last week was my birthday. Nobody even said happy birthday to me. Someday this tape will be played and then they'll be sorry. All right, so let's start with the Dark Star, okay? Uh, which, yeah. as I say, Ron Cobb did a little scribble on a napkin. Yep, that's great, says Dan. Yeah. Can you elaborate upon it? He does the line drawing, almost blueprint of it. And that was handed across to another hero of ours. Yeah, Greg Jean. There he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a terrific um, artist who I think we should do a special, effectively speaking, on one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, all his model work across uh, quite a period of time now isn't it yeah um you know it, it, it was a bit weird sort of the, the, the thing with greg gene because like where you had like the ilm model makers uh back in the day who were working on the the, the star wars and the galacticas and stuff like that greg gene was of that other thing more like the the doug trumbull thing he was working on the close encounters and mm -hmm. the star trek the motion pictures and things like that so he i don't think they ever kind of worked on anything together, uh, like Gene with ILM, or you know, they were obviously probably knew each other, mm. uh, some of these technicians. But he was working on like a different sort of group of films in a way. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not too sure how big the original model was. It was about two or three foot. 
I've just today been watching Memory, you know, this uh, DVD uh, from yeah. um, Dan O'Bannon's wife about uh, Dan O'Bannon and Alien. And you do, it's, it's a really good DVD and you get some really rare photos in there. And there is a photo of uh, Dan with the Dark Star model with the bomb underneath. And right. they're filming it upside down. Um, I'm yeah. not quite sure why you would film it upside. Oh, it must have been filming it for when the bomb goes back into yeah. the, the Dark Star. And I would say, eyeballing it, it must be about three or four foot. So quite big. Yeah, because didn't one of the sci-fi and fantasy model making editions only towards the end of its run have somebody actually with the what was left of it for restoration. I'm sure there was an article. Oh, really? No, I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, I'm sure somebody um, had some photographs of it. Um, they'd got it off. Possibly, I don't know if, I don't know if the, um, Burns had had it, um, but it might have been off Gene himself, and it was in a bit of a bad shape, but I'm sure there was a photograph of somebody stood with it, kind of almost, you know, like that picture of the... Uh, Scorpio, where it's kind of stood end on. Yes. And I think someone's kind of stood Just in the car park, kind of holding it. Yeah, and I'm, it looked about sort of three foot. I'll tell you what, this is terrible, terrible podcasting. I'm just going to cross to a bookcase and get my Bob Burns book, all right? Right. Talk amongst yourself, everyone. Hang on. <laughs> Don't fall down the stairs. Are you still there? Yeah, the first thing I'm going to say is I didn't know there was a Bob Burns book. <laughs> you don't know there was a Bob... You, you must do. No, I didn't. Yeah, it, it's called It Came From Bob's Basement. Okay. All right, okay. Yeah, and... Oh, it's terrific. Um, um, you should Google it, look it up. I mean, it, it's fantastic book. I'm, I'm flicking through it now. And uh, it, it's basically showing you his whole collection. All right. So I'm looking at it now, and you've got all the costumes from Rocky Jones, Space Ranger, the Monsters, the old yeah. Republic serials, Captain America. Go through a bit right. more. Um, a lot of Paul Blaisdell stuff is coming up. Fantastic photo. Andrew, you've got to get this. I'm surprised you haven't got it. No, I've never heard of it. When was it published? It was published. Let's go to the front. It was published. We will get back to the subject in a minute. Um, it was published... By uh, 2000. Oh, right, that old. Yeah. I've never, I honestly never heard of it. By Chronicle, Chronicle Books. www.chroniclebooks.com, if they're still going. But I'll have I, a look. Yeah. Um, I, no, I didn't know anything about that. Oh, lovely American werewolf in London. All the Rick Baker um, Nazi werewolves are all in here. Right. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So, no, I didn't know anything about it being restored at all or anything like that. But he and Greg Jean were... Good mates, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I was—I uh, was fairly sure it was in sci-fi and fantasy model maker. Um, right. I might be possibly getting that slightly mixed up with when they did the restoration, or they were going to do the restoration of the Heart of Gold. Right. Uh, and that was in a uh, in one of the editions as well, in a fairly bad shape. Right. Um, right. Right. But uh, no, I'd I like it as a design, and I want one. And I know yeah. that there is a model kit of one out right now, but it's only about nine and a half inches long, and uh, it's about eighty pounds, so can't really justify it. I have seen kits of it in the past, and I don't think they've ever quite got the shape right. You know, it's got—I don't know what it is about the shape of it mm. that they, they can't seem to pin down. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, fantastic design. Um, yeah. um, photographed, as I say, about three or four foot long. Um, but Dan O'Bannon, he had studied visual effects before making Dark Star. Yeah. And, uh, and 2001, he focused on that when that came out. And he did quite a bit of research about how they did things. And he found out that there were some instances in 2001 where the footage of like the satellites at the beginning and some of the ship shots were no more than photo cutouts on animation yeah. stands. So he thought, ha, <laughs> you know, that's a cheap way of doing it. So a, a lot of the shots in Dark Star of the Dark Star are photos of the Dark Star on an animation stand. Do you know what it reminds me of? And we've talked about, well, we've talked about that. You've talked about it on, on the podcast. It, 
it reminds me very much of the quality of the effects in Blake 7 where the, the shots from shot to shot differ. Mm. So occasionally we get a shot which of the dark side which looks amazing and then you get like one of the shots where it flies past the camera which looks really cheap and nasty. Yeah. Um, I think it's the one where it's kind of got like a yellow bulb in the distance, like it's meant to be the sun. Yeah. And it flies right in the foreground and it looks dreadful in that shot. But that then does get... look like animation. But then you get a lovely left to right panning shot across the yeah. hole, don't you, as well? So each shot is kind of almost like different in a way, you know, the way it's being done. And in some of the shots it looks great, in other shots it looks really, really crummy and, and washed out of light and, mm. you know. Mm. Thing with light and stuff so there's a real hodgepodge um, there's like no sort of set style to film it mm. really um, yeah it is very Blake 7 in that regard isn't it yeah but I do like the sort of opening shots of it you know drifting in and heading towards the planet that's one of the photo cutouts isn't it as it's yes. heading towards the planet and then you get that great side shot where it just kind of suddenly just breaks just stops dead yeah you know it doesn't even slow down <laughs> it just stops like it's someone just slammed the brakes on yeah and then you see a reaction from the crew inside, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they're, they're they're great shots. Yeah, I'd like you know that the fact that this is a low budget movie and um, you know it's a student film, but you know um, they've cut corners because they don't have much money and it can be very effective. I mean, um, the live action bubble canopy that's up on the top, when they did the live action shooting of that, mm. um, I don't know if you know this, but it was a piece of plexiglass. Um, cut in a semicircle, so it's a semicircle of plexiglass about two foot across. They sprayed the edge of it white to make the yeah. actual edge visible, and it yeah. was it was placed in front of the camera with the chair and the actors way off in the distance, and they yeah. just lined it up, you know, and and that's just genius. Yeah, I always thought because before I'd, I'd I'd seen that, I always thought it was probably just a sheet of glass where they just masked off and then just airbrushed kind of the the dome, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, the, the other thing about the Dark Star is it doesn't really have a lot of surface detail, so there's no like panel lines, there's no shading, or there doesn't appear to be. I mean, they may be possibly subtly there, but you just don't get to see them in the uh, not in with the that final light, shot. no, no. Um, so, so you know, it's it's a very sort of white surface. Considering the inside, he was going for like a dirty and gritty look. You think the outside would have possibly had like damage, meteorite damage, or yeah. Things like yeah, that. residue from the, all the exploding planets that they've just blown up. Blown up, yeah. Yeah, you know, so the, the the outside of the ship probably could have done with being a bit more weathered and a bit more lived in itself. But um, yeah, mm. it's a, it's it's a nice sort of shape to it. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of the details towards the back, isn't it? Kind of like around yeah, the, yeah, yeah, on that slope bit at the back. Yeah, yeah like the, the. In fact, that's probably where most of the detail is, except for a little bit on the underside near where the bomb comes out. Yes, yeah, yeah. T yeah. Two facts I've got on the ship. I know, I know you know because you put them up on your Instagram page, which is Doolittle never met Tolby. Um, yeah. Uh, they, yeah. They, they, they were separate shots. They were they were filmed separately, and any time you saw two of them together, the two of them together, there's a body double for one of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that guy who played uh, Tolby, I think Dree Pahik, they called him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's literally only got that one credit on IMDb, yep. um, and it was John Carpenter who redubbed his voice. Is that true? Because that was my other thing, and a a apparently there is thought that it is John Carpenter, but I've, yeah. I've, I've never seen that it officially is. It I've, I've read several times it was Carpenter that redid the voice, because apparently he did have a very strong foreign accent. I don't know what nationality it was. It sounded like he might be an Indian or Pakistani with the name Dree Bahik. Right, um, yeah. Um, and... So, yeah, apparently John Carpenter just redubbed him because he had a very thick accent. Mm. Um, I don't know whether it was a case of maybe... It might have been one of these situations where when they actually got back to sort of actually, you know, because it was a, a long shoot, so maybe the, the, you know, they lost touch with him and they needed, like, more dialogue to come over, mm. speakers or whatever, and Carpenter just thought, well, I might as well just redub him. Right, right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, It'd be that... interesting to see where he ended up because yes. I, have a, I have done a bit of a search, but uh, you know, you know, I, I assume he might still be around somewhere. Well, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, yeah. get in touch. Yeah. All right. So that's the Dark Star, and out of the Dark Star comes the bomb. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, a, a lot of people know what that bomb was made out of. Mm -hmm. um, it's a 124th truck kits container, isn't it? Yeah, mon monogram at Revel, I think, isn't it? Yes, so you, yeah. You make that. 
Uh, and I think didn't O'Bannon make that himself, that model? I I saw that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people try to recreate it now. Um, yeah. But as with many, many, um, you, you know, studio models that were made in the 70s, try to find the donor kits now mm. is, is prohibitively expensive. And, yeah. and I think I, I, I think a while back I was looking into making one of these. And yeah, in English money it, to get one and you have to get it from the state. So you're talking about maybe 30 pounds on top, but it's about 60, 70 pounds now. And then you've got yeah. to fork out about £30 postage. So you're talking about £100 for a big lorry kit where you only need the trailer, really. Yeah. I'm trying to think what the actual name of that truck was. It was something like the big something. Mm. I can't remember what, what, uh, the actual name, but it was like a, a specific name for that model kit. Yeah, and it has to be that one to get the actual container as well. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because you can tell from the side views it is a truck because of like the way it's sort of segmented. Mm. But also, I I think what put me off of doing it was the price of trying to find one, but also some of the extra kit parts for detailing it are still unknown. And I, I wouldn't want to go to a great expense to recreate something and then either not finish it or use something which is a substitute. Not when I'm forking out an awful lot of money for yeah. that beginning piece. I think he used quite a bit of racing car, didn't he? Because I think the chrome pieces are just left as chrome. Mm. Uh, so I think there was probably some kind of monogram or revel race car yep. where he's using kind of the engine section. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're all around the end section there. Yeah. There was a bit mm. of a problem when they made the model is in that uh, John Carpenter wanted lights on the bomb for when it arms itself. Oh, that's right, yeah. You know, you get that flashing. They... They, they had no way of putting the lights in it because the model was already built. So that's like that scotch light material. Yeah. That highly reflective material. And then you just flash a, a, a light at it and it and it appears to glow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I wasn't I wasn't too sure that was just like an added optical effect later on. I was, I was never too sure with that. I don't think they had the money to do right. uh, optical effects like that. Yeah. So so that's the bomb. Uh, next. Let's go to the alien. All right. Right, <laughs> which I know you're interested in because you've you've semi got one, haven't you? Yeah, I've started making a miniature of it, but uh, I'm just went to get some feet sorted. Up. Yeah, the, um, the the feet of it of the actual one in the movie were kind of it must have come from a creature from the Black Lagoon sort of Halloween costume or something, wasn't it? Um, I think it's the hands of the creature. Yeah, uh, it that, is. That, it, it is. It's from Don Post, Post Studios. It's, yeah, it, yeah. It's, I, I figured as much. I thought it must be from one of his things. But uh, yeah, I'm just waiting to kind of like get those. I was looking for like if there was an actual model kit or a, a, a toy I could just take like a, a mold of originally. But I'll end up probably sculpting them. But. Well, I said to you, I'll send you my creature from the Black Lagoon. I've got the Billikin kit creature from yeah. the Black Lagoon, which is one six scale. But I think you said the scale would be a bit wrong for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably end up sculpting them eventually, All just right. out of some uh, sculpty. But yeah, it it is a, a you know such a, a simple idea, but an effective idea. And I've always liked the alien. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I didn't realise until I started looking into it in that the 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 infamous beach ball alien with the creature from La, the Black Lagoon hands for its feet is actually the second attempt at making an alien. All right. Yeah, okay. The first attempt we actually do see in the film where Pinback is going around the ship um, and um, you've got those lights at the oh, window. Right. The one, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once it says get away. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. They, yeah. That, that was the first attempt at the alien. Right. Um, but they rejected that. They had to come up with a second one and they had already bought the beach ball um, and it was going to be a planet. Okay. Right. That, 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 they bought the beach ball because it was going to be a planet. So, yeah, all they did was they painted it up, airbrushed it in that pattern, stuck a, a, a toilet plunger on its back. That's how they manipulated it. And it was actually Nick Castle behind right. it manipulating <laughs> it, you know? The shape. Yeah, yeah, the shape was actually the alien as well. So I love it. I, I love low-budget stuff like this. Yeah. I, I always thought that was really funny because those like kind of lights sort of drift towards him, don't they? In mm -hmm. that, like like they're in some kind of like containment thing. 
and then when he says get away and they all just like drift off yeah. but it, even though they're just some lights they seem to sort of have some sort of sense of emotion yeah yeah you know, uh, it, it, it's it's what makes the film quirky doesn't it it's yeah. one of the appeals of this film yeah and so does the ball you know it's it's the, the reactions from the ball to him yeah uh, it's probably got more sort of personality than some sort of fully animatronic creatures I've seen. It reminds me, we've talked about this before on this show, it reminds me very much of uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie in Silent yeah. Running in that when Pinback has that cute little, you, you know, dog toy mouse. Yeah. Is it the mouse he puts down and it, and it, it sort of, it doesn't look, it hasn't got eyes, but it, it considers it and it taps its nails yeah. doesn't it and then jumps forward and sort of swallows yeah, it and eats it yes yeah. <laughs> it's got such character and it's a beach ball with some uh, rubber hands on it yeah there's always this uh, continuity shot that slightly bugged me it's the bit when he first gives it to food and he says here take it or leave it and he slams the food down well in the wide shot the hands are apart but then when he slams the food down the hands are suddenly close together mm. and and that's when it kind of like again taps its fingers and then pushes the food to one side and makes that kind of yeah. noise <laughs> Um, and then you know, it, it's it's the bit when it's up on the uh, the lockers as well. You know, he's yes, kind of, yeah, just bouncing yeah. there. I mean, you know, everybody knows, you know, that uh, it was Dan O'Bannon's dissatisfaction with this film which made him think, I know, I'm going to do a serious Alien on a spaceship, and and that's what started off Alien. But but yeah. but. I, I, f I find the alien totally charming and in totally in keeping with the uh, humour for the rest yeah. of the film. And most of the humour in the rest of the film is Pinback, i.e. Dan O'Bannon. So I really don't understand why he had such a problem with it. Yeah, I don't know anybody who really kind of takes the alien sort of too seriously. No one's ever sort of said, oh, it was just a beach ball. No. I think that's what the, the fun of it was, you know. Yeah. That it, that it was a beach ball. Yeah, yeah. All right, next next effect is the hyperspace uh, effect. Um, yeah. And this light streak effect was accomplished by John Whitney Sr. And, and of course, it's done by having the shutter of the camera left open while the camera moves. Yeah. Uh, very simple uh, thing. Slit, like slit scan type. It was, effect, yes. It? Yeah, but very yeah. cheaply done slit, yeah, yeah. slit scan. And it was an effect done almost exactly the same a few years later in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, you know, if you watch Dark Star and you don't realise that was out a f quite a few years before Star Wars, you might think, oh, they're ripping off Star Wars, but it's the other way round. Yeah, it's like the, the, the shot where you're looking into the stars and you're going forward, it's kind of almost like a handheld version of the hyperspace jump. Mm. It doesn't look like they've got any kind of track or anything to, to, to run it down. It looks almost like it's been literally moved forward by hand, mm. uh, where, where the Star Wars one is very uniform, everything's perfect, everything you know goes like that. It's slightly wobbly mm. the way the, the stars are. Um, you know, they're, they're not perfect sort of lines. That they've got a little bit of a kind of kink in them. Yeah, uh, but it's still a great effect. Yeah, and Star Wars, it was better. They had far, far more money. You know, yeah. and another Star Wars connection is you know what you said earlier about you know when the Dark Star just grinds to a halt well that's exactly what star destroyers do when they come out of hyperspace all the star wars ships just stop like that don't they yeah and then dan o'bannon obviously worked on like doing graphics for this he did. Uh, doing uh, you know he, he he went on to work on the graphics of star wars yeah not many people realize that that yeah the, yeah. the computer graphics at the end that's dan yeah. o'bannon yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i think Luke, lucas must have liked what he's seen or if somebody at ILM, you know, knew him and said, let's get this guy on board. He's done some graphics. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it is, I, I like the, the, the effect as well when you actually jump out of hyperspace and you kind of get that shot of Talby where it kind of, um, I don't know what, how you would describe it, but it kind of almost like tri double, triple, quadruple exposures and then it kind of goes stationary. Like it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's like a very wobbly shot yeah. and he's suddenly there. It's almost like he's shuddering or something yeah, as, yeah, as like he arrives. Yeah, like a kind of sh shudder, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great, great shot, that. Yeah. All right, okay, well, let's move away from the effects and go practical uh, for a little bit. A, 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 another miniature, actually, you haven't mentioned, I don't know if you were planning on mentioning, is the actual computer room. Oh, no, I'd completely forgotten about the computer room. Because the computer room's all a miniature as well. In fact, like the shots... You see the wide shots where you see Talby uh, at the computer. It's it's like a doll. Yeah. Um, you know, like a, a, a little miniature. I don't know what scale it'll be. It might be like Action Man scale. Or Matt Mason. 
yeah, like that type of skill. And you see like the wine shot and you can see like all of the, the banks of computer equipment. And then in the close-ups, it's obviously just like a little, probably a portion of set. But there's several shots, isn't there? I think there's like a tracking shot right from behind, tracking into the computer mm -hmm. room. And then there's like a side sort of angle shot where you see Talby actually sat. And it's kind of all bathed in that kind of green light with mm. like, again, those optical effects which go over. And there's like a little, few little things in them, optical effects, um, swear words and things like that yes. that, that pop up. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you remember, on one of the screens during that, you kind of see a brief sort of shot of like a face, like some kind of bloke looks like he's wearing some kind of gag mm. or something. It just seems to flick up for like just one frame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, th I think there might have been some kind of comment about Jack H. Harris in there. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say the expletive, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was something, like, something, yeah, Harris. something Harris, something Harris. <laughs> yeah, that, that does flash up. I think. Yes, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't, they weren't very pleased with him towards the end. No, no. All right, okay, yeah, sorry, 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 I've completely forgotten about that one. All right, um, so no, I was just going to mention a couple of the practical effects. Um, yeah, and that's the sets. Yeah. Um, because it was a very low-budget student film, and the sets, that incredibly cramped uh, control room that they've got, um, yeah. it was basically frames of wood clad with all sorts of plastic shapes, including the ice cube trays uh, backlit, yeah. which look great. I mean, even though you know they are ice cube trays with a, with a light bulb behind them, they look fine, don't they? Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, it was a... A really cramped set, wasn't it? When you see the pictures of it, it it's yeah. just sort of two two sloping walls essentially in the back bit, isn't it? And uh, they really are sort of jammed in there. Yeah, um, yeah. But it does work, and I like I like the fact that it's almost like if, when one if if say Pinback wants to get out, then I think the other two have kind of got to get out first to let him yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, at one point, Commander Powell would have been in there with him as well. He would have been in there, yes. So they would have had these these four people all crammed in there. I like I like how they say on the uh, Blu-ray extra that you know when you have that shot coming along through the control room, the camera's on on like a a, a wooden beam, and they, yeah. that's that that are leaning back as far as they can so the camera passes behind yeah. them, uh, past them. As it comes past them, they had to spring back up into position and start acting and pressing all the controls. Yeah, that's a great set. You know, it's 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 really really nicely done. I've always liked that uh, bridge set. Mm. And there's all, all sorts of junk on there. Yeah, I tell you what dates this film, and that's the fact that the computer graphics that you see in this film, they were done on the only computer in the whole of the building on campus. They had one computer in the whole building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other cutbacks did they have? Oh, yes, you've got flash bulbs instead of squibs for the guns. Yeah. Because yeah, they couldn't right. afford yeah. squibs, so they're just camera flash bulbs. I think that's quite sweet. Yeah. Um,. You know, don't you, the uh, the knife trick by Boiler, yeah, um, which is you know replicated almost exactly <laughs> later on in Aliens with Lionel yeah. Henriksen. Uh, that was a complete ad lib, um, right? By the actor, um, he just started doing it, and they started filming it. And he actually, yeah, him cutting himself like he does. Uh, that was an accident. That wasn't meant to have happened. And yeah, he stayed in character, smoking that cigarette, looking at his, uh, you know, bleeding finger until John Carpenter shouted cut. And then he broke character. He stayed in character through it all. Yeah, the, the guy who played uh, Boiler, um, Cal Cunny Cunnyholm, they called him. Mm -hmm. He died in 2008. Um, according to his IMDb as well, uh, this was like his only movie. But I was fairly sure I did see him once in one of these American TV shows, kind of like a Rockford Files type thing, just as a, a kind of a, a thug, you know, sort of um, just a, a heavy sort of character. Mm, it... um, but it's never been, like, listed anywhere. But I remember me and a friend were watching this, and we said, oh, there's Boiler, you know. Right. Yeah, but but... It's, it's, it's not listed anywhere. Yeah, but Boiler, with that moustache and that hair, you had people that looked like that in all the American shows. Yeah, so yeah I suppose <laughs> It so. might not have been him. Um, uh, yeah, no, the spacesuits. Just wanted to talk about the spacesuits. Um, yeah. I love how the, uh, on the front, the front pack, the chest pack that they, you've got, it's a muffin tray. That's uh, right, yeah. Um, held in place with duct tape. And, um, yeah, it's well known that the helmet... Uh, the space helmet is actually a toy one. 
for yeah, a shot. You, you can still pick those up on eBay and yeah. stuff those, yeah. Yeah, and of course it's too small because it's for a child. So what they did is they slanted it at the face, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Which is a fantastic way of getting around that problem. Yeah. Um, what's the, the backpack? Something similar to a muffin trays as well. I think that's uh, some kind of, you know, more like a... Like a casserole dish type tray, yeah. or like a, a foil one. Car, you could uh, just go down to your like. Well, Woolworth don't exist anymore, but if it did, you could have made a suit like this, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know as well the elevator sequence. Um, yeah. What, what, what's wrong with the elevator sequence? What have you noticed about the elevator shaft? Well, it's it's filmed horizontally, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's. When you know that Dan O'Bannon is uh, going horizontally, yeah, you can see it. But there is something. Now, what did you say? Because you said about this on Instagram as well, didn't you? There's no doors in the shaft at all. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, whether it's top, bottom, left, or right, it's just flat walls. Yeah, there's, there's no actual. There's no actual elevator doors from the past. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it's just kind of like this plywood corridor almost. You know, MDF <laughs> corridor. Um. But it's it's really well shot. I mean, you know, again, this is Lucas obviously used that technique at the end of THX one one three eight, where they, where um, you know he's climbing out the, uh, the the bowels of the city. Um, you know, have somebody on the floor, put the camera in the right position, yeah. and it makes it look like it's uh, you know really really steep. And they did exactly the same. And some of the angles they choose are really great. Yeah, and it's good acting from Dan O'Bannon. The way he's yeah. flicking his legs because he would have been flicking his legs up upwards while he's laying on his chest you know well, he's, he, he, he's actually yeah he's on his back isn't he i think he he's, yeah but um, sometimes he's on his front as well and i'm thinking blimey to kick your legs back like that must hurt yeah and he's like just laid on like a pla- like a plank isn't he i think in one or two shots you can see the plank just under his bum it says he's on a dolly um, right um for that yeah yeah, yeah. but um yeah i mean that, that, that's a great sequence it's such a funny sequence i like the him trying to one you know Again, even him trying to unscrew the hatch at the bottom is it, he's putting real effort into it. It's not like he's just you know he seems to be really stretching uh, with all of his might to try and unscrew those uh, kind of wing nuts to, and then that plate sort of falls off, doesn't it, straight onto his face? It's a great comedic performance, and it takes its time, doesn't it? it yeah. Oh yeah. It's not fast. It, it, it's similar to Alien. It just takes its time, and I like the result of it. I like. Pinback stomping down the corridor with <laughs> with the hatch round his waist, you know. Uh, yeah. I tell you what, I also like in in that sequence is the sound effect. The sound effect for the lift starting and stopping that industrial sound effect. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It, I'm not too sure what they use, but it sounds like a something maybe from like a foundry, like a metal cutter. Or it's something, like a press it? or yeah. something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great thing. But it, it's the the sequence actually when we first kind of see him edging along what looks like a sort of a thin ledge, but that's when the lights first come on, <laughs> and, and you realise what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he obviously knows it, you know, what, what it is, but we don't. Mm. Uh, we just we just know it looks like there's, you know, somewhere he can fall down. But then when you actually do see the length of the lift shaft, you think, yeah, it, it is pretty uh, pretty deep. All the way, whenever I watch the lift sequence, I always think it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon because yeah. that could be Yosemite Sam getting into yeah. that problem. Yeah, it could be Wiley e. Coyote, you know, or Daffy Duck. You know, uh, and getting stuck when you're halfway through the hatch and everything, and the bomb's just about to go off, and you know the alien tickling him and all this yeah. business. It's very Looney Tunes. Yeah, I mean the alien really has it in for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I've just remembered that you said about on Instagram, you pointed out to me something I didn't never knew before, which is Doolittle's name badge. Oh yeah, it's 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 missing. Uh, it's just dual tool. It's missing the eye out the little. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for some reason. I'd never spotted that. And it's like I said to you, maybe they just didn't have enough money for another letter. 
Maybe they like it was originally there, but it peeled off and they just left it. I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, that was always a bit bizarre. But yeah. the, the other thing I, I don't know if you've you've read about this is because it took so long to do. They said they weren't only trimming people's hair; they were literally sticking hair back on people. Mm. Well, it's uh, all part of the re, uh, the not reshoots, but there was additional footage yeah. done, wasn't there? You know, yeah. So, the, so they said, you know, like uh, boilers hair and pinbacks hair. You know, often they'd come back in and. Literally from shot to shot, the hair's two two inches longer, two inches shorter. So, yeah, um, that was a bit of a continuity thing. But yeah, yeah, it's a long time when you think about it. You know, sort of four or five years to be shooting something like this. Yeah, I mean, if they had been like you know four years younger or something, you you, you would have seen them appreciably aged. You wouldn't be able to do oh, it. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely, kind of like that Harry Potter situation where you oh, know they yeah. go from being kind of kids in one movie to sort of teens in the next and really sort of noticed you know that jump yeah yeah uh, um something i didn't realize at all until i think i got the blu-ray and 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 realized is this song at the end ben- benson arizona benson, arizona yeah i just assumed that was a, a a genuine american country and western song that i'd never heard of before but nice. but it was actually specially written for the film yeah, and it's it's actually by Bill Taylor, who is Bill Taylor, who worked on Blade Runner yep. and uh, films like that, The Fog, and you know whatever he was the he was essentially Albert Whitlock's like right hand man. Yeah, um, you know he he worked with well, I mean he did he did his own uh, map paintings and stuff like that. He was a great map painter himself, but uh, yeah, I think he was brought in the Dark Star as kind of a visual effects consultant. Yeah, uh, and then he. Yeah, wrote and sung the song. Now I don't know whether he actually is genuinely a singer as well. Maybe he was a country and western singer at one point or whatever. But well, no, there's a um, there's a contradiction because I've also seen that he just wrote it. Okay, he wrote the lyrics. John Carpenter wrote the music, and the vocals is actually somebody by the name of John Yeager did the vocals. Right. Okay, and the band playing the music was John Carpenter, Terry Winkless, Tom Wallace. And Justice O'Neill, right? You know, because because it reminds me. I don't know if do you know the um, the the guy who did stop motion animation for the Terminator, Pete Kleinow. Mm. Uh, because Pete Kleinow, who did that, is actually in the band as well, right? Um, and he's a he's a, a steel guitarist, you know, pe- the pedal steel guitarist. And I've seen him sort of like listed, and he was actually in a member uh, a member of the Flying Burrito Brothers band. Right. And I've seen him listed. Uh, I can't remember what they call him. They call him something like Sleek Sleek uh, Pete Kleiner or something. Right. Uh, I've seen him listed online. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so he he might be sort of like around about the same age as um, Bill Taylor. So maybe you know that, that yeah. Sneaky Pete Kleiner. That's it. There I've you just go. had a look online. Yeah, Sneaky Pete Kleiner. And a lot of people have mentioned about Sneaky Pete, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, this, so this guy is the same guy who did the stop motion animation on things like the Terminator <laughs> and stuff yep. like that. But yeah, but yeah, he was in this uh, in this band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to have a bit of research and see if they mentioned Bill Taylor anywhere. Right. Okay. Because right. It, it does sound a bit coincidental that he plays steel guitar and Bill Taylor wrote Benson, Arizona. Right. 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 Uh, lastly, the reason you and I are talking about this tonight. Uh, is because it did get a theatrical release, um, even though it was a student film. Um, Now, um, the finished film, it was somewhere between 45 and 50 minutes long, Mm. um, and they wanted to put it on the student circuit for viewing, but they were told that the rules at that time says a film could be no more than 20 minutes. Yeah. So, faced with the choice of having to, like, slash it almost in half... Uh, they thought stuff it, and they actually took the negative. I don't know if they broke in to take the negative, but they took the negative and ran with it. They were not chased too enthusiastically by USC, who, who thought in the very least it would be a good advert for them. Yeah, I think you kind of sometimes get this mentality, and I don't know how how it sticks, but kind of it's almost like colleges are almost like they're, because you've done the work at their college, they're, they're holding kind of like the, the copyright to it. And I think that's what it says in one of the documentaries that, you know, USC felt like they actually owned it. Mm. But I think it was sort of a Bannon and Carpenter said, well, we were the ones that done all the work and put the money up and got the financing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay, they were using USC's studio space, but I think it was essentially a glorified shed anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, 
And also, you know, Jack H. Harris, he did, he, he distributed things like the Blob, hadn't he, previously? Mm. Um, you know, so, and, and uh, he also uh, did Equinox, which was the film that Dennis Murin worked on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which was, again, was probably another USC production. Um, Equinox, I think, actually possibly came before this. I think it might have been 1970 or 72 Equinox. So, yeah. you know, he did, he did, that, that was Dennis Murin. And I don't know whether anyone like Greg Jean or anyone who worked on that as well. But that featured miniature effects. But the one person who does connect Equinox with Dark Star is uh, Jim Danforth, because Jim Danforth mm-hmm. did some uncredited matte paintings yep. for Dark Star. Um, I believe it might be the one like when you see him kind of flying through one of the nebulas and you see sort of an asteroid at the side of the frame. Yeah. I think that was a, a Jim Danforth matte painting. So hmm. yeah, hmm. and 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 this is the same sort of bunch of people again: Jim Danforth, Dennis Muir, and Greg Gino. All then went. To work on Flesh Gordon, of course, yes. Which which was like a you know a few few years later, probably about nineteen seventy four ish type time, mm-hmm. seventy five. So yeah, they all went on to work on the Flesh Gordon doing special effects. Yeah, like kind of almost like the early days of like ILM, because again, Rick Baker was involved in yep. this, and you know, so there was lots of these kind of people who were just meeting up at the right right moment at the right time. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, this Harris guy. Yeah, he he funded um, extra filming uh, to yeah. pad it up to feature film length. Yeah, and in the process, yeah, butted heads with John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon. Hence the yeah. Uh, yeah yeah the subliminal message. I mean, he he hated the name. He didn't want it to be called Dark Star. Uh, he wanted right. that changed immediately, but they fought that one out. But uh, yeah, that, that they padded it out, and the new footage um, it. It was filmed with the same camera and lenses that they used, you know, a few years before to keep continuity. Um, it was all produced by Dan O'Bannon, um, and it includes the pinback versus the alien and the yeah. uh, elevator sequence. That was all new. Yeah. Doolittle playing his uh, yeah. bottle organ thing and was new, wasn't it? Doolittle playing his musical jars, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Which I don't mind. I mean... I don't know. Dan O'Bannon didn't like Dark Star, and I don't know if it was because you know too much comedy was put in. But even if yeah. you even if you took out the elevator sequence, um, there's still a lot of humour in it. Mostly coming, as I say, from Dan O'Bannon. You know, I think Dan O'Bannon's absolutely brilliant in it. You know, he's he's such a funny character. Like all of the bits when he's reading his diary, all of the different sort of like moods he's in. Yeah. Um, you know the, the the whole fight with Boiler over the you know the, the gun and stuff like that's great and um, just sitting you know, there that... with his big glasses on uh, catching the rays when he's on that sunbed you know yeah and, and and again the sort of Bermuda shirt and stuff really then just jumps forward to what Brett's wearing in yeah. Alien doesn't yeah. it you know so yeah. there's uh, there's loads of um, kind of influences and things like that the other thing um, going back to Jack H Harris is he did work kind of with Carpenter sort of a little bit later on in Carpenter's career because he was executive producer on the eyes of Laura Mars, which Irving Kirshner directed, but Carpenter wrote. Mm. Um, so, you know, Jack H. Harris did work sort of slightly again with uh, with Carpenter there. But not O'Bannon. Mm. Yeah. But I've never quite heard a proper tale about why O'Bannon and sort of Carpenter did fall out. Um, you know, why they never worked together again really um well i did see you know there was this whole thing about you know we were going to do a two it was a two film deal and um, i was going to be directing the second one and then that never happened you know i don't know i don't know i'd I'd sort of heard i think it was an interview possibly in cine fantastic where carpenter said he tried to sort of uh send out an olive branch type thing to um to O'Bannon, and I think he said that he'd just done um, Assault and Precinct 13 um, at that point, Carpenter, and I think O'Bannon found it to be like a, a distinctly nasty piece of work. You know, he didn't like it. Right. And he said that was kind of him pretty much saying, well, you know, I don't really want to talk to you again. Oh, it's um, such a shame. But um, the other the other thing I, I remember about uh, going back to uh, to Dree Pahik, who was uh, with Talby as well, he did work with Dan O'Bannon previously on a film called Bloodbath, which was a film that Dan O'Bannon wrote and directed. Oh, right. Again at, U, at UCLA or UCS or whatever it was called. Um, and if, 
I think it was essentially about like a guy who's just in the bath who kind of sort of slices himself up. And I think it really was just kind of like Dan O'Bannon and Dree Pahik is just all that's mentioned on IMDb. Uh, it was 1969-1970 that. I've heard about that film, but I didn't realise it was Tolby in it. Yeah, yeah, Dreep Dreepake's actually listed. Uh, but, um, yeah, he's just listed as actor, if, uh, as far as I remember. Right. But uh, So he, he had worked with O'Bannon before, so there must have been mates. Um, you know, because, I mean, Dark Star's listed as 74, but when did they actually start shooting? If it took four or five years to make, they probably started shooting pretty much, you know, 1970. Well, it was a reaction to 2001, so, yeah, that would have been roughly about uh, 70, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because there's that toilet tank at the end, isn't it, which says THX one one three eight written on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the fact it's written on a toilet tank, I don't know whether that was some. <laughs> That's Dan being uh, Dan again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm um, just trying to think if there's any other um, miniatures that we haven't talked about. I think we've no. pretty much co- covered them all. Well, the only other effects things is just composite shots, isn't it? Like you know, um, Doolittle at, at the end, um, surfing down into the atmosphere, and well, and, and the asteroids that come along yeah because the, i think the um they were by um bob greenberg mm-hmm. uh, greenberg associates weren't they the people who did the uh, kind of worked on alien doing the opening that's them yeah animation yep. yeah so again there's a connection with alien there but um john john wash as well who went on to work with dan o'bannon on the star wars graphics he worked on that sequence as well mm-hmm. but I, one of the guys i used to know from a video shop years ago he used to really lay into that scene he said oh it looks like those graphics are being drawn on with felt tip pens you know <laughs> um when you see like the lightning and stuff like that but i thought they were pretty good for the time yeah. and the little asteroids are all like and the asteroids aren't actually just drifting past the spinning as well mm. uh many of them so you know the, i don't know what you know how they did that whether they were just shot as individual stills or what but uh it's not a bad sequence i like the glow around them like they're kind of force field yes um it doesn't really show what happens to Talby because they're kind of all in that cockpit. Yep. And they all get the force field around them, but Talby's obviously still meant to be just up in the dome. Yes. So it doesn't really show you what happens to Talby during that sequence, whether he gets the force field or... Maybe that's why he's, he's shuddering like he is. Yeah. yeah. I also I also like the miniature of uh, Commander Powell at the end in his block of ice, almost like he's in carbonite, yes. spinning, off into, <laughs> spinning off into the distance. <laughs> With it, with his voice of men, what's happening, men? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. It's a terrific film. It's a terrific yeah. film. Um, it is. It's, it's really good. So, how good though? What, 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 what do you give it? If you think about all your, the effects in it, what would you give it? I, I, I just have to give it a ten out of ten because I'm thoroughly always entertained by it. You know, I can't really rate it on any kind of effects level because it's all part of the the, the final thing. Um, you know, just as an entertainment, I think it's a ten out of ten, and I and I'm always a big sucker for people who've genuinely put effort in as well. Yeah, you know, which you can see they've genuinely tried to put effort in. It's not one of these movies where they've kind of thought, especially with the spaceship stuff, where they think, oh, we'll just make the wires visible because that'll be part of the joke. Mm. You know, they haven't gone down that no. road, which you know you, you can easily go down that by making let's make the special effects look intentionally crummy. Yeah. Uh, because it's part of the joke. They've obviously tried to make the special effects look as good as they possibly can. Yeah, you could have had, when they just stopped, they, you could have put some breaking noises on or something like that, but they didn't go the yeah. silly route, did they? Not with the no, special effects. It's, it's almost like if you see um, something like spoofing Star Trek, whether it's on Saturday Night Live or whether it's on, like, you know, uh, uh, kind of the Two Ronnies or any of those shows... You'll see the USS Enterprise, and you can probably see the wires holding the model. Yeah, it'll be wobbling. Because, yeah, it'll be wobbling intentionally because that's part of the joke. Yeah. Isn't it? But uh, no, they don't do that. They're, tr- they're trying to do the best job they possibly can. Yeah. The, and for the most, and for the most part, it works. Yeah. Apart from the alien, the the special yeah. effects are the most serious thing in the whole film, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, the the, the ships are decent design. The sets are, are, are well done. You know, for what they've got budget wise. I mean, they're even doing that kind of old trick of let's like have the the same corridor, but when he goes down to another level, we'll bathe it in green light, so mm. it looks like it's a different level. You know, it's all the same set, just redressed slightly. Um, I think the, the their locker room is used later on as one of the other sets. I think it might even be the set where he plays his bottle instrument. Um, 
But uh, yeah, there was always that weird optical effect where they'd smudged out all of those uh, pinups on the back wall. See, I I don't remember seeing that all smudged out when I watched it on TV initially. But yeah, the, apparently there is two versions. Some sometimes it's smudged out, sometimes it's not. Oh, really? Ah, yeah. But there's that kind of shot where he walks right in front of it to pull out the the, the chicken. Yeah, in in front of Doolittle and. Uh, as he walks past, you can kind of see it smudging around him. Yes, yeah, he gets smudged as well, doesn't he? Like someone's like literally gone across the screen with a bit of Vaseline on a yeah. piece of glass. Maybe that's what thing. it was. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, I have I have read that there's two versions. So there's a, a smudged and an unsmudged, and obviously the smudge was for TV broadcast. You would have thought on the Blu- Blu-ray they would have put both, wouldn't you? I've not watched. Both of the versions on the Blu-ray. I've only watched the, the extended cut. Have you, have you watched both versions? Yeah, they're smudged out on both. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's a shame. Because yeah. <laughs> that's another alien nod as well, because you've got some uh, lady uh, lady photos in the um, like mess room bit of the Nostromo in Alien, if you look in the distance, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and obviously the, the most famous kind of bit, which was carried over, but then not used, was the blister. You know, they um, they, they did try to put the the the, the sort of Talby blister, the dome, uh, into Alien, didn't they? You know, yeah. Dan O'Bannon. There was going to be a love um, scene there, wasn't there? Yeah, and uh, there's the the famous concept artwork by Ron Cobb showing like the dome yeah. with the kind of the seat and like the it's like a it's it's almost like Talby's dome, but you know times 10 in terms of its quality it's all like um, a settee isn't it rather than a single chair it's like a rounded like sofa yeah it, it's got like a single chair with almost some kind of telescope type equipment attached yeah to it, but then there's like a settee running around the edge yes. but then there's also like a stair, like a spiral staircase coming up the edge yeah like you come up but uh yeah i mean that's on the very early versions of the snark isn't it that's Where you right can actually, you can and the snark again itself as a design is similar to dark star it's quite a smooth looking very ship. slabby yeah yeah so you know that would have been i've often said to people uh i mean you know what i'm like with remakes but i said if there was one film i'd like to see being remade it would be alien but you'd actually remake it with all the original concepts yeah so you would make it more of a B movie. You'd go back to the origins and you'd use the Dan O'Bannon um, concept. You'd use the Ron Cobb concepts. You'd you'd leave the the Giga stuff out altogether. So you'd go to kind of like you know the Ron Cobb version of the Alien, and yeah. uh, you'd have the you'd have the sort of uh, the Snark or the Leviathan. Yeah, because Martin uh, Bauer made the Leviathan a few years ago, didn't he? He, yeah, he, yeah. he covered it in Bauhaus, and uh, yeah, that that you know, that would you, be fascinating. You could almost do like the the retro version of it yeah. because you know Dan O'Bannon's script is quite different. The dialogue's a lot different than O'Bannon's original Alien script. Yeah, um, you know, lot, lots of the sequences, such as the finding of the pyramid and then the finding of the derelict after the pyramid, is is different. You know, yeah. there's, there's lots of differences in there. All the characters have got weird names. We've talked about this before. Yes, uh, bizarre names like Melkinis and Standard and Broussard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it's definitely a title 10 for Dark Star for me. All right. Um, I, I like it. I'm nowhere near as generous as you, though. Um, I've got um, I've got an 8 down for it. Right. So it gives it a 9. Yeah. But that's not bad for a, such a low-budget film, is it? No, definitely not. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's us done for today, uh, Andrew. Yeah. I've I want to talk to you in a minute. I'm I, I want us to talk next about something along similar lines, featuring somebody right. that I thought you were going to mention, but you haven't. So right. in a minute, when we finish recording, um, I'm going to let you know. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you then, Andrew. Thank you, everybody, and see you next time. Bye. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Sure thing. Flies the galaxies 
sky. But they seem so much kinder when we watch them, you and I. Kinder when we watch them, you and I. 